0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Today's episode of Wineface is brought to you by Hydrant. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com backslash wineface or enter promo code wineface at checkout. Hello, everyone. This is Helen Johannesson, the owner of Helen's Wines, Gembox Little Wine Shop in Los Angeles that's inside of a restaurant called John and Vinny's. And this is my podcast, Wine Face, where we're breaking down the ins and outs of wine into little digestible, snackable bites. It's, you know, all about education, all about making things accessible. Maybe you love food and wine, want to impress your friends. Maybe you just want to know more. Either way, I'm here for you. If you want to find me in person or pseudo person right now because of COVID-19, you can find me at Helen's Wines here in Los Angeles. If you want to find me online, follow along at Helen's Wines on Instagram, or you can go to our website, helenswines.com calm. Today's episode, you know, when I was writing these notes on the outline, I wrote wine face episode because it was hard to even find the words of what's important about what I'm doing. What's important about this platform? Who wants to hear what I have to say about wine? I mean, not about like poor me, but just more like how do I push this even farther? So this episode is more about than just about an episode, let's say. But for the final, this is my third to last episode of the season. For the last two episodes, I'm going to be doing some really cool interviews with Black women I know who work in wine. And I really just want to use the last two episodes to share their stories, shed more light on what they're doing, which is why in sitting down to record this episode, it sort of felt... Frivolous, but I still think it's important. You know, the world is changing and that's incredible and it's amazing and it's long overdue. And I'm working to look at myself, look at my team, and look at my role in any past oversights, things I could have done differently. How do I create a path, a future? How do I be a part of that change? within the wine community and within my life. For me, the ultimate goal is to create a more anti-racist wine community. I think that should be everybody's goal, professional goal, and also anti-racist world. You know, that work is long. It's lifetime. It's never going to stop. something I've thought about for my entire life. So I'm excited about the changes in the world. I got to say, I mean, maybe that's boiling it down to Maybe excited isn't the right word. But if you're in the wine community and you haven't read this article by Miguel de Leon, I mean, there's amazing voices in the wine community to follow. And if you're stuck, you know, not to ask questions to, but just to receive information. But I read this great article yesterday by Miguel de Leon. He lives in New York and it's called Actionable Items for the Wine Community. And what I like about it is I think that whether you're in the wine community or not, it allows everybody to have a different perspective because of the way it's written. And it's targeted at restaurant, retail, educators, media, winemakers, wineries, and actual ways that you could take action for the wine community. So if you haven't read that, I encourage everybody to read it and link it in the show notes. So I just wanted to put that out there because these are important topics and there's a lot of things that can change. There's a lot of discussions that need to be had. And specifically a lot of people, you know, myself included, who have had a lot of authority on this subject. It's time to, you know, make space, not stop what we're doing, but make space for for other voices. It's really important. So how we talk about wine, you know, that's something that This, you know, I was really stuck on this morning how we talk about wine. And I think Miguel's article really brought that to light because from the very beginning of my career, how I talk about wine was really important so that I didn't alienate, belittle, or offend anybody with what I knew versus what they didn't know. And it particularly geared towards guests you know is really about hey wine can be really elitist it can be very snobby it can feel alienating how do i take this information and digest it and then regurgitate it <laughs> in a way that isn't going to put someone off you know and i think that's a that's the human instinct in me wanting to connect wanting to relate wanting to let people feel comfortable and know that in my space of wine There are no wrong answers. You can't say the wrong thing. There are no bad tasting notes. You know, this is the main reason I left the Court of Sommeliers, the Master Court of Master Sommeliers, I guess, let me say, is I felt like there was a lot of wrong answers in the way I was thinking. And there was one answer and there's right and wrong. And it was it was just a little bit too rigid. And I think Helen's is an amalgamation of a lot of things. But if anything, it is a way to talk about wine that you know, in my opinion, has been inclusive. And I think we'll continue to push what does that mean even further. But when we talk about wine, we kind of also got to talk about, because this episode is not just episode. <laughs> it does have a purpose. That'd be cool to never done an episode on kind of the gear, accoutrement, stuff that it sort of creates this you know there's a right and wrong way to serve wine what glasses how do you open it so i thought it would be cool to talk about the accoutrement of wine and service and wine lists and organization and temperature so that we can start to level the playing field on all information you know i think wine glasses question i get like all the time do i have to serve a certain wine in a certain wine glass and that too there there are what some might deem a right and wrong answer, but let's talk about it. I think it's important to first go back to like the history of a wine glass, because it's actually pretty fascinating. I mean, in the Middle Ages, wine was served in leather cups called piggin, and that's wild. I mean, can you imagine being in the Middle Ages, drinking wine out of a leather cup? Glasses though, for wine and glass in general, goes way back to the times of Mesopotamia and Egypt, 16th century BCE. I mean, way back in the day. The glass that we know today. So those were like different. I mean, those were glasses, but it was not in the form of a wine glass as we know it today. The glass that we know emerged from Venice in 1400. The glass, it was Venice was the center of glass blowing. And There was a real artistry about it. Obviously, Venice still has amazing glass, but there was this real artistry, finesse. There were already stems for wine glasses in place because there had been wine vessels or chalices in religious ceremonies held up by priests. And that was the first intention for putting a stem. Usually a a chalice or wine goblet is metal in pre-church setting ceremony. And the whole reason for putting the stem on it was so that the priest could hold the cup up so that the congregation could see. So there were already, stems were already around because of that, um, but they were using, back in the day in Venice, 1400s, they were using a lot more natural ingredients like lime. And there was a thing called glass disease <laughs> and glasses would just sometimes deteriorate. So it was a really imperfect system for making wine glasses, but you know, that's what time does. Things improve over time if you really want them to, right? They all have to make an effort to improve. But 1600 England, the English were like, yo, we're gonna make a better glass. And the glass really evolved from there. They started using different techniques and then glass gained some real strength in 1670 when lead and flint were added for strength. I mean, it's just really interesting too. Like also, by the way, glasses, like wine glasses used to be one sixth or one seventh of the size they are today. I mean, they were like tiny. When you look at paintings from this era, it's like little teeny glasses. in fact, it was a trend in the 1700s that if, you know, you were drinking glass and you were of a certain nobility, you would not even hold your own glass. It would be brought over by a valet. It would be filled. You would throw back the glass wine, which is pretty much the equivalent of a shot. If the glass was like one seventh the size, it was a tiny little glass. You would throw it back and then you'd give the glass back. So you never actually were like holding your glass. Part of that too, where that glass was expensive. So you wanted to protect it. You wanted to keep it safe. You definitely didn't want to like drunkenly smash it. And people were just drinking these little shots at a time, which I thought was so, you know, such a different world. We're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I've been going to work Monday through Friday since COVID-19. And one of the things that's crazy is I'm wearing a mask all day at work. You forget to drink water. A couple hours into being at work, it'll hit me like, whoa, I feel crazy. I'm like, I got to drink water. I mean, 75% of us are walking around every day chronically dehydrated. And it's crazy. It leads to energy slumps, headaches, poor focus. But I got a cool new trick that I've been bringing to work with me. And I fill my cup and I put in my hydrant packet. Hydrant created a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly into your water to efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. Whether you're drinking hydrant first time in the morning to start your day off on the right foot before a workout to perform your best or at any other time throughout the day, you'll feel the difference of being fully hydrated. Each of the rapid hydration mix, and they're like in these little pouches, you just pour it in. They have a precise blend of electrolytes that helps your body hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by an Oxford scientist to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. My favorite thing about these are there's no synthetic colors, there's no stevia and there's no artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan and there are three awesome flavors that you can choose from or you can get a variety black. I love the blood orange. It's my favorite. I'm just testifying here. Hydrant starts at just a buck a pack for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with my exclusive discount code. So for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com backslash wineface or enter promo code wineface at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com backslash wineface and enter promo code wineface, one word, for 25% off your order. Drinkhydrant.com backslash wineface and enter the promo code wine face. It's all one word and get hydrated. All right. Back to the episode. Some places you go in Europe still, you know, the wine glasses are pretty small and it's just like, especially in Paris, more bistro vibes. Stems, as I had mentioned on a wine glass were already around, but they ultimately helped keep wine at the right temperature. So that way your hand is not resting on a hot goblet. It's resting on the stem. And champagne, we should just note, used to only be served in like a flat surface in coupes. Glasses used to generally be much smaller, including these coupes. However, the surface area was exposed to more air and it would lose a lot of bubbles. So then the flute came along, I think in the 18th, or hundreds or early 1900s. I would have to look that up for y'all. But the flute came along and the flute is the tall cylindrical champagne glass, which helps concentrate the CO2 in the bubbles. And I guess the bouquet, it keeps like an illusion of more sourness in the glass because it keeps everything more concentrated and the bubbles can't go flat. But the shape of of a wine glass and how that evolved, there's some regionally specific glasses that are associated and were developed in certain regions to be tied to certain grape varietals because the shape of a glass is directly correlated to the way your mouth interacts with the wine. So it literally affects how the wine is pouring into your glass. How much surface area is the wine hitting all at once? Probably the most famous types of wine glasses, you could just say Burgundy and Bordeaux, right? When I first started working in restaurants, I knew nothing. I was like, I used to mix up burgundy and Bordeaux glasses all the time. I would get yelled at, you put burgundy glasses and it, it's told you to put Bordeaux. And, you know, it's it's just like information overload. Also, my first day working at like a really fine dining restaurant, broke an entire tray of crystal glasses just on the floor. <laughs> that was not my finest hour. But a burgundy glass is a glass that has like the big bulb. It's a big ball. At the base. And it's really great for lighter bodied wines, releasing more aromatics, grapes like Pinot Noir, Gamay, Grenache, things that want to have a little more room to move around. And then as you take a sip, it sort of cascades into your mouth in a sort of waterfall-esque way. It sort of coats more of your mouth. And those are really, really awesome glasses. And when you pair it with a wine that's meant to be in that glass it really does elevate the experience just like a bordeaux it's what you would serve a bordeaux or a cabernet sauvignon or you know a red that's made from merlot something so it would be more concentrated fruit you know something that has a little more tannins and the way that that glass tips into your mouth it's more of a direct shot along your palate it doesn't sort of spill and cascade so, it's really interesting when you start to think about it that way. But let me just preface all this. I should have prefaced it before by saying that drink wine out of whatever glass you want. <laughs> you know, there is no wrong and right. There is a different experience around wine when you drink it out of a certain glass. You know, but glassware, you just Google types of wine glasses, there's like, probably 20 different wine glasses. You know, there's a Sauvignon Blanc glass. There's a Chardonnay glass. There's a Riesling glass. There's a specific glass in Alsace that has like the green stem where you put wines from that region in. There's a Rosé glass. There's a flute. There's, you know, so there's all different types of glasses. In my mind, If it's important to you, then it's important. And if it isn't important to you and you want to drink your wine out of a mason jar, that's awesome too. You will have a different experience the more expensive the wine is. So I always tell people, bust the wine glasses out when you have a nicer bottle of wine. And don't worry about matching Burgundy Bordeaux. I mean, the wine will have a great experience if it has just a little bit more room to like move around, aerate, get a little traction. But that's just sort of a brief types of wine glasses and why at the restaurant at John and Vinny's, we have one universal glass. I chose to do that because I wanted it to be a more casual interaction with wine, but this universal glass is awesome. Everything tastes great out of it. And that was part of why I chose it. It's more of a burgundy shape, but it, you know, allows people to really move the wine around and wine glasses for me, you know, I have a lot of like sipping, wine glasses where you wouldn't aerate the wine. It's for rosé, for more casual white wine. They're kind of smaller and you pour less in it. It's more bistro style. But then I also have some, you know, Zalto glasses, which are beautiful crystal glass. I only have a couple because we break them. <laughs> but those are a different experience of a nicer bottle, whether it's white rosé. I would probably red, I poured in those just to have that experience with it. When we talk about wine openers, there's like the new, I, it's not called a rabbit. I think it's, maybe it's called a rabbit. The wine, if you have one of those, great. I mean, there's all these like new kind of gadgets that you can buy that make opening wine really easy. I'm all for it. I use a wine key, which is like the sleek, small, it has a knife and it's like a pullout corkscrew. Really important if you're going to buy a wine key, get a double gauge one. It's where the part that rests on the bottle's lip to open it. Very, very, very important because it's really hard to use without it. And now wine keys, you can go down a rabbit hole. You could spend like a thousand dollars on a wine key. You don't need to. You can spend $5.99. Wine keys are great. And the other one is like the classic corkscrew where you like screw into the cork and then the rabbit ears go up and you pull down. I actually have one of those. It works great. The key to success when you're opening a bottle of wine that has a cork is you need to make sure that you screw the corkscrew down enough. A big mistake a lot of people make is they only go like three quarters of the way. You need to go all the way down and will make extracting the cork a lot easier. The one thing to be aware of is wine that's older. You might want to get a tool called an asso. And it's kind of a two-pronged tool. If you go to any wine shop, they usually will sell them. But basically, it's for corks that might be old and maybe they'll disintegrate. And you sort of cinch it along the sides of those corks and twist to pull. You kind of squeeze the cork up and out of the bottle instead of putting a corkscrew down the middle And uh, that's for really just older wine, like 15 to 20 years plus plus. Wine temperature. I get a lot of questions about this and I think it's important to talk about it. Wine doesn't always need to be as cold as people think it does. Wine can be a little bit warmer because then it releases more aromatics. Red wine, you know, I'm never going to, Come off, it should be 65 degrees, 70s max. You know, the wine drinks better. And if you don't have a wine fridge, that's okay. Just keep your red wine in the refrigerator. Also, it's getting hot out. Like you should really be careful. You just don't want your wine to raise in temperature. You don't want it to get too hot and you don't want to freeze it. But having it in the fridge is totally fine. Champagne should be icy cold. I like rose icy cold. White wine, though, I think could be 50, 55 degrees. And you achieve this not through thermometer, but you have a white wine in the fridge, you don't need to get an ice bucket. It's like, just let it sit, see how it evolves, see what happens as it warms up. Only pour into your glass once your glass is empty so that you can see how the oxygen is changing the wine over time. Wine service, I think people think about a lot, you know, in the restaurant, it's really important how we pour wine for guests. And I think it's cool to translate some of that to your house if that's important to you the ceremony of opening the bottle of wine, pouring it for friends sitting around your table, not topping up. That's something I've never really talked about, but it's one of my things that I try never to do is if you have wine in your glass, don't pour wine on top of it because you're essentially mixing two different wines. One day, soon, hopefully, we'll be back in restaurants looking at wine lists. And this is the time where I encourage you to ask for the sommelier, get someone involved, Be humble and be curious and don't get intimidated because wine lists are intimidating. The way that we write our wine list is we have the same formula for each wine. So they're written the same way. It's the vintage, producer, if there's a special vineyard or a special name for the wine, followed by where it's from, that country. And then the last thing we write is the grape varietals that it's made from, whether it's one grape or a blend of a few. I think that really helps people connect a grape to a place or a producer. So wine lists, pay attention to it and how things are organized. We still organize things geographically because to me that makes the most sense. Some people are going to organize it by the grape varietal to each their own. I guess a wine list is really an expression of the individual who's writing it. All right. So this was quick little wine face episode where wine glasses, it's a thing. We could get deeper into it. Just want to thank everyone for listening. Thank everyone for being a part of this community and excited to do more, do better and keep moving the current conversation forward, especially how it pertains to Wine, my industry, wine retail, wine makers, wine trips, the whole gamut. Everyone be safe. This is Wineface. If you have any questions or comments or you have things you'd like to hear about, please hit me up in the DMs at Helen's Wines. You can also visit us online, helenswines.com. We have a wine club that ships nationally. You can also shop online. We have every SKU up. Those wines also ship nationally. And shoot us an email. Hit me up in my DMs. It would be amazing if you could rate, review, and subscribe because we would love that. This is Wine Face. Everybody be safe. I'm out.